0: Hey, it's Pastor Jeffrey Graff with Faith Family Church, Next Gen. Thanks for tuning in. I hope this message brings truth, clarity, and hope to your situation. God loves you very much, and I hope you feel that today. Enjoy the podcast. Right on, right on, right on. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Y'all do me a favor. You give the band a hand clap. They do such a good job. And uh, before I even start, I want to give a special shout out to anybody who is involved in the Christmas production. I know that we had several people, whether they were, you know, dancing or singing or Paul. Where's Paul? Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for in his red glittery jacket. I wish you'd wear that all the time. Anyway, if you know, you know, if you don't, you missed out. Anyway, it's so good to be with you guys. If it's your first time, my name is Jeffrey. I am privileged to be the pastor here at YA, I always say I have the best job in the world, because I get to pastor the best people in the world, and I genuinely mean that. I'm in a unusually cheerful mood, because it's Christmas, right? Tis the season. To be jolly. <laughs> Y'all so hesitant. la 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 la. No, really, man. It's just the weather is, like, not scolding hot. People are generally happier around Christmas, like... It's like every, I say this every year, it's like everybody works at Chick-fil-A around Christmas. You're just, you're at Walmart. They're like, my pleasure. you're like, what the heck just happened? I'm at Walmart. Thank you so much. You've made my life. And my favorite part is probably Christmas music. Okay? It is now in the safe zone to listen to any and all Christmas music. There are some people that are like, it's too early. It's too, whatever. Now, if you say it's too early to listen to Christmas music, You have problems, and the Lord needs to address that in your heart. Because it's December the 13th, 13th, December the 13th. Now, me and Eden, Eden and I, if my grammar was correct, we have this playlist that we do. If you don't know Eden, she's my wife. It's not even that popular of a playlist, I'm not going to lie. But we like it for the first two songs. We don't really even get much past the first two songs. But the first one starts with a little Mariah Carey. You know what I'm talking about? Ah... And Eden always gets it like this. Uh, she ain't hit one note, but boy, by the look on her hand, you think she was Mariah. And then right after that, it goes to last Christmas, which is weird that you like that one. But last Christmas, you know what I'm talking about, right? I gave you my heart. I don't know what it's called. The very next day. Uh, this year. And Eden just gets in her feels about all the ex-boyfriends she had that broke her heart. I'm just playing that doesn't happen. Um, Christmas music cracks me up because Christmas music, like the lyrics of it, it's all over the spectrum, man. Like you have something about the birth of our savior, right? Away in a manger, no crib forever. And then you got something about some hairy green thing called the Grinch. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. And then you got like, God knows, miscellaneous category. Grandma, got ruined over by a reindeer. Like, what are we talking about? Like Christmas, I'm serious. You can't listen to a Christmas station and know what you're going to get. Like there's, it's just like it's gonna be Grinch, Jesus, or Grandma. We don't know, but there's one Christmas song in particular that just rubs me wrong, man. And I'm gonna tell you why in a second, um, and you're gonna be shocked because it's a classic and it's it's about Jesus technically, and people sing it with this worshipful heart. You ready? It goes like this: Silent night. Oh. Hold on! Run it back! Silent night, holy night. All is have you read the Christmas story? I just I feel like that's such a dumb lyric. All is not calm. Mary's pregnant and has to ride a freaking camel like 80 miles to go register in her hometown. Then she goes to a hotel, they don't let him in. She has a baby in a barn. That's not a calm situation. He's a baby in a barn, like Jesus was mad, probably, I don't know. She wraps him in clothes by herself, doesn't seem like her family's there. I just read the Christmas story, and I'm like, why do we feel like, oh, this was such a calm, serene moment? Put a baby in a barn, and tell me if it's calm. I don't think it is. It is not calm. I like the real Christmas story, because in my opinion... Christmas season is not a calm season for either good reasons or bad reasons. Like for me personally, I just feel like, okay, there's so many gifts to get and we got to get this person and this person. We got to go see their family and their family and it's hectic and there's this party and this party and this party. You don't really want to go to any of them, but you got to go to all the Christmas parties. And then for some people, Christmas isn't calm. It's crazy for like more heavy reasons, you know? Like, well, in the morning we go see mom and in the afternoon we go see dad or, you know, all the family is under one roof, but. Nobody wants to talk about what's really, like, going on. We're not unified on Christmas. Or maybe it's like, I don't know where I'm going to get all the money to buy all the gifts for all my friends. So I'm going to have to get them, you know, Skittles. Everybody gets Skittles. There's just all these things that I'm like, are we cheapening the real Christmas story by acting like all was calm? Because when I read the Bible, I'm kind of comforted that Jesus like came on the scene, not in the calm, but in the chaotic. I kind of get comfort in the fact that Jesus came in the scene and didn't necessarily make the hard situation go away. He just made the situation doable. I think some, to some extent, you and I would be better to not be like, all is calm, but be like, man, when it was crazy, Jesus stepped in and said, I'm the Prince of Peace. Yeah. Like when everything was not my plan, not what I was expecting. When it wasn't calm, Jesus is like, Yeah, that's why I'm here. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So the title of my message is all is not calm, but all's all right. Mm-hmm. Sounds contradictory. All is not calm, everybody say not calm. Not calm. But all's alright, everybody say alright. All right. And here's my the prayer from my heart. My prayer is that by the end of the message you would really know that whatever's going on in your life. It might not be calm, but it is all right. And that's not a contradictory statement. It might not be good on the surface, but that doesn't mean God's done with it yet. And that might be a contradictory statement. My prayer is that whatever you're going through, I have a very, 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 very deep belief that if I sat each and every person down in this room and it was just me and you and we talked, eventually I would get to something that was weighing heavy on your heart. I'm not saying it's all dramatic and it consumes your life. Maybe it does. And I'm sure there are people that it does do that for them. But I think each and every one of us have something we're worried about a situation at work, a school thing, you know, finances, something that happened in our family. Whatever it is, it might not be calm, but I promise that it will be all right. And I want to show you that from the Bible today. All is not calm, but all is all right. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're looking at 2, 1 through 7. And we're starting with the first three verses. First three verses say this. You got the underlined part. If it's new, it's just my way of convincing myself that you guys are paying attention. Verses 2, 1 through 3. three. It says this. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Beautiful. Verse 2. This was the first census taken since when... I almost made y'all read that part because I thought it would be funny. Quirinius, sure, was governor of Syria. Verse 3, all return to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. Now, I just need to stop and let you think about something. One man gives a word, okay, and every single person in that civilized place goes and obeys him. You got to think about how crazy this is because there was not mass media, There was not a television or a radio broadcast or a social media they could just post or speak to and make the announcement. So think about how much power you gotta have to have one where Satan, you know what? I feel like we should take a census and everybody listens. This Augustus guy, it's important that he's in here and I need to tell you a little bit about him because really um, Augustus is not his name. His real name is Octavian or Octavius. I'm gonna give you all this. I hope I don't regret this. A little history lesson for you. Any history nerds out there? Okay. For the rest of you, I'm going to try to make it like fun history. Okay? I'm not giving this to the youth kids because I know it's going to go over their head, but I think there's a little lesson in here. So his name wasn't Augustine. It was Octavian. And this was basically the climate he came into. Ruling Rome, there were three main people. It was Octavian. Everybody say Octavian. Octavian. Mark Anthony. Everybody say Mark Anthony. and And Lipidus that's the name, Lipidus. Okay. So they're all ruling whatever, but they don't like there being three rulers. They all want to be the one ruler. So Mark Anthony and Octavius kind of gang up on Lipidus off him, which is sad because Lipidus and Mark Anthony were brother-in-laws, but none of the matter. Okay. Yeah, it's jacked up, right? You think it'd be the other way, but no. Okay. So they're gone, and now it's just Octavian and Mark Anthony, and they're still not content to have two rulers. So they're fighting each other, fighting each other, and the people of Rome are just upset because it's civil war. At the bulk of it, they're going through civil war, and they're expending people and troops, and they're fighting their family, and people are dying, and they're being taxed so high just to make sure that one person can be a power. So eventually, Octavian wins, and honestly, people are really happy about it. Not necessarily because they just love Octavian, but they're happy about it because finally there's peace. There was something called the Pax Romana, it means the peace of Rome, and it lasted for a long time, and it was under Octavian, and the people really loved Octavian because finally somebody unified us, and we're not in civil war, but Octavian, it kind of got to his head, and he changed his name from Octavian to Augustus because Augustus means sacred and exalted. It was a word and a name that was not used for anything up to this point that wasn't holy or divine or godlike. So essentially, when we read the first verse, what you need to hear is Augustine had officially placed himself in the position of God. And if you, you don't know that just reading it unless you're a nerd like me and you had to study it. But here's the divine comedy of all of this. There's a point. I'm not just saying this to give you a history lesson. The divine comedy is when everybody was looking to Augustine as like this savior of Rome, the, the Lord and, and this prince who finally brought peace, the real savior of the world was existing in a fetus form. Sliding in straight under his nose, he was a baby in a belly, and I say that to say this, God is always in control, but God's control is not always obvious. Yeah. And I think we'd do better if we realize that. God is in control, but you are always not gonna know what his next move is. See, God is a God who is content to be over all authority while flying under the radar. And I think sometimes we need to have a faith that doesn't just cling to God when we can see him working and we know his next move and we know what he's going to do. No, no, no. He is over everything and his control is not always obvious, but it's also not optional. So the first thing we see here is like, okay, something's going on. And I just, when I was praying about it, I was just like, man, what would it mean to your life if you could really have a faith that God might not be obviously working, but that doesn't mean he's not flying under the radar for you? And I guess in my prayer, when I was praying over all you guys, I just hope you know that God really is doing a lot of stuff, that you have no idea what he's doing. And let me just show you, let me just show you, because I'm going to get ahead of myself. The first three verses, Augustus tells the world, take a census, and everybody moves. And so this puts Joseph and Mary in a weird position. It says this in verse uh, 4 through 5. four through Yeah, 4 through 5. It says this, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him. Mary. His fiance. Who was now obviously pregnant. I think that's funny. She's fat. Okay. Um, now. You have to understand for them. Like this is not their plan. If you're about to pop. You are not trying to take an 80 mile journey. On a stupid little humpy camel. That's not fun to sit on. That costs a lot of time. A lot of a lot of um, money, it was, an, it was an expense. And they're sitting there like, oh my gosh, this is not the plan. This not, we should be getting the crib ready, downloading every episode of Coco Melon. We should be, you know, getting a diaper changing station. All this stuff, this is not the plan. And I think a lot of times we get into the same place where we look back and we think, well, wait, God, this is not the plan, right? If you were to take the last year of your life, Think about the last year of your life. Where were you on December 13th of 2021? How many of you have had something not go to your plan? So the rest of you, you just use it real planned out, huh? Of course you have it. There's so many times we look back and we're like, Lord, this is not my plan, whether it be something that happened in a job, you know, some somebody that you lost, somebody that hurt you and you didn't expect them to ever hurt you, we go through the same thing where we think this is not the plan. And yet I'm amazed at how when it is not calm for Mary and Joseph, God is in control. Let me show you. It says in Luke 2 verse 4, one more time. It says, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go where? Bethlehem. Why did he have to go to Bethlehem? Why does he say he had to go to Bethlehem? Because about six, seven hundred years before this, there was a prophet named Micah who prophesied that the Son of God would be born in Bethlehem. And so if you go to Micah 5:2, I'll read it to you right here. It says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler will come from you, one whose origins are from a distant past. It was always God's plan for Mary and Joseph to have their baby in Bethlehem. It just was not Mary and Joseph's plan to have their baby in Bethlehem. But just because something's not your plan doesn't mean it's not God's plan. And I think sometimes we got to understand that. So God's sitting there like, okay, how am I going to get this young couple, Mary and Joseph, to go all the way to Bethlehem to make sure that my word actually comes true. And then he does something crazy. He says, oh, I know how I'll do it. I will take the most powerful ruler in all of Rome, and I will make him think it's his idea to issue a decree and a census that'll, by root, get Mary and Joseph all the way to Bethlehem. And this guy who everybody's like is such a powerful ruler in the grand scheme of things is a pawn on God's chessboard. God's just moving him around, making him work for his purpose. He don't even know it. He's just doing things thinking he's doing his own thing. And God's like, no, 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 I'm going to make this work for my purposes. He's going to, here's what I'm trying to say. Augustus was ruling and God was in charge. Let that put in your crock pot. Because we freak out about rulers, man. Well, this person is, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about all that stuff. But the Bible is full of testimony and testimony of testimony. That ruler, Christian or not, whoever is ruling, guess what? God is in charge. God is going to make whatever he needs to happen for his purpose come about. And here's the first thing I want you to write down. When it's not in the plan, God's in control. When it's not in the plan, God's in control. I'm not saying it's always easy to see. You ever seen those... uh, Those memes, (laughs) or their videos, I don't know, but they're like, never let them know your next move. You know what I'm talking about? Am I alone? Sometimes I'll say something, and the kids are like, you're on old person TikTok. Like, shut up. Um, I don't say that to the kids, just to the high schoolers. So, never let them know your next move, the premise of it, right? It's like somebody's doing something and then you'd expect them to do something, but instead they do something completely unexpected. And it's like, never let them know your next move. I saw one the other day, um, a SpongeBob. Hey, man, if you don't watch, sometimes it's a ra- rabbit trail, but if you don't watch SpongeBob, man, you're homeschooled. So, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob growing up. Well, your parents failed. I don't care what you do with your life. You have no humor. Sorry, Higgins. Um. I forgot y'all couldn't watch Spongebob. I need to speak slow. But anyway, Spongebob, Spongebob has gone to the kitchen sink and he has his little toothbrush and it's just a little toothbrush just has two little prongs because he owns two little teeth. And uh, he squirts the toothpaste on it and, and like, you think he's going to brush, you know what I'm talking about. You think he's going to brush his teeth and he's like, and he brushes his eyes. And so somebody played that video and was like, never let him know your next move. You get the point. Here's what I'm saying. God is the never let them know your next move, king. God is the one. I don't care how smart you think you are. You can't predict him. Ain't nobody know that God was using Augustus to get his will done. Not one person knew that. He's the never let them know your next move, king. But there's two things that are so true and apparent in the Bible. And they feel like they're contradic- contradictory. Here's the first one. You can never know God's next move. But you never have to doubt if he's moving. You can never know his next move. But you can never doubt if he's moving. And I don't know what that means for you. But in my heart, I just felt like a lot of times we will have this faith where if I cannot predict Hello? Hey, we're back. We're live. Um, but here's what, I, here's what I honestly think, okay? I think we live in this day and age where people are like, if I can't predict God's next move, then I'm going to doubt that he's moving. Why would you serve a God that you could predict everything he's doing in your life? I think at some point we need to humble ourselves at the feet of God and say, God, I know that I don't understand how you're working this out but I know that you are, and the word God put on my heart to tell you is God is using people, places, and things that you would never expect for him to cause his will in your life to come to pass, and he's doing it, and you're not even going to know it until it's in retrospect. You're not even going to know it until you look back, and you're like, oh my gosh, all was not calm, but it was all right because God did this. All was not calm, but it was all right because God was moving this way. Listen, You don't know his next move, but don't let that be an excuse for you to not believe in your heart that he's moving. I think so many people think, well, if you don't have, uh, if you can't know God's next move, you don't really have a faith. And if you just think, oh, God's moving, that's such a wishy-washy faith. That's not a wishy-washy faith. That's a faith that's founded in Scripture that can humbly say, I don't know what God's doing. But I can point to every single era of history where God's hand is continued to make sure his word is alive, active. In persecution, the church is still standing. In places where darkness is going, the light is overcoming the dark. Every time people are like, well, it's on the, de- the decline. God's like, homie, you do not know how I work in history. So sit there. Let me be God You be a human, and let me explain to you that I'm moving, whether or not you like how I'm moving, and I'm moving through people, places, and things that you might not agree with, but I don't need your agreement. God says, I just need your faith that I'm actually doing something. Amen? Amen. So listen, when it's not the plan, God's in control. It was not Mary and Joseph's plan. It might not be your plan, but guess what? God's in control. So even when you sit there and you say, all is not calm right now, I hope you can drop to your knees and in faith with all your heart say, but it's all right. All's not calm, but guess what? It's all right. All's not calm, but it's all right. So Joseph and Mary learned that, and they're in Bethlehem. And let me finish these last two verses. Verse 6 and verse 7, it says this. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7, she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and... Oh, is that highlighted? Wow, not in my Bible. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. I don't know. That one's not... All right, I got it wrong. I'll fix it next time, though. Don't worry. Um, you know, it's funny because we take this and we'll use it to paint these beautiful nativity scenes. And that's fine, like that's good, but really this was a very lonely experience. One scholar pointed out that the fact that Mary had to wrap her own child points to how lonely it was. You don't think she wanted her family there? You don't think Joseph wanted his family there? It was a lonely experience. It was painful, and it wasn't very easy, but God made it worth it. Because eventually the shepherds would come, I think you know the story, if not, these shepherds came and they started telling Mary, like the angels appeared and they told us we would find you here, and and they told us that your son is the son of God, and the Bible says that Mary treasured all of these things in her heart, and she realized like, okay, you know, this is painful, but God's still in control even now, so yes, it's lonely, yes, it's painful, but she was where she needed to be. All was not calm for her that night, but all was all right. And so not just when it's not your plan, but the second thing I want you to know is when it's painful, please know that God is in control. When it, when it's hard, when life sucks, know that God's in control. I don't know how much you know about the story of this church, but my dad planted, or he didn't plant this church. My dad over, like took this church. But my dad being a Christian was a very painful experience for him. He got saved when he was 17 years old. And when he was 17 years old, his parents were like, you're either going to, you know, not be a Christian or you're not living in this house anymore. And so it's his senior year, 17 years old, my dad got kicked out of the house. Didn't live with his family, didn't have much of a relationship with his family. He went to college and he went to ORU actually, which some of my boys from ORU are here today. Um, But the truth is, like the first decade of my dad being a Christian, there was so much pain. And when he eventually started his career, he got out of college, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of people who wounded him, kind of cut him down. And he'll tell you, he'll say, when I came to Victoria, Texas, I came limping, feeling like I didn't really know what to do. He took a a church of 80 people or 80 families. Little did he know in just a few short years time, this church would be reaching thousands of people with the gospel. So yeah, it's an awesome story, but it started in pain. And a lot of awesome stories start in pain. Now, if my dad could have zoomed out on the picture at 17 years old and saw not just what was going on at 17, but how God was gonna be leading and guiding him to the time he was you know, 47 or something like that, it would have given him a lot more peace. And I guess my prayer for you is that if you're in pain right now, I just ask you to by faith zoom out and say, yes, I'm in a lot of pain but just because I'm in pain doesn't mean God's not in control. Just because I'm in pain and all isn't calm doesn't mean all's not gonna be all right. All is gonna be all right. Sometimes we go through pain. Sometimes we go through hurt. Sometimes we go through seasons where we don't feel like people care. We don't feel like anybody can understand Just But listen, God always understands you. God always cares. And if you can't by faith, zoom out, you're gonna understand that even in the middle of your pain, he was in control the whole time. Even in the middle of your pain, he never took you out of the palm of his hand. Even in the middle of your pain, when it doesn't feel like there's nowhere else to go, like you're at rock bottom, know that he's the king of taking rock bottom and flipping it on its head and helping you get not on rock bottom, but on the top of a mountain. Listen, Ah, I felt this really strong in my heart, so I don't know what everybody's going through, but I promise you, I pray for you guys. All the time. And I know there are people in here with very heavy hearts today. And God's word to you really is give me some time with your pain and watch what I do with it. Give me time with your pain. Don't run from me. Don't ignore me. Give me time with your pain and watch what I do with it. You ever seen those mosaics where they take all the stuff that's ripped and broken and jacked up and then somebody who's a really good artist will take it and he'll piece it all back together to make something that you didn't even know could be made before out of those substances that's what God does he's the greatest artist who's ever lived and he'll take all the broken pieces of our life all the ripped up pieces of our heart and if you let him and you give him some time with your pain he'll begin to fashion it and make it into something that you didn't even know was possible for him to make out of it It's not calm. I'm not going to sit here and ask you to act like it's calm. But guess what's also true? It's all right. All's not calm, but all is all right. And let me tell you this. The greatest proof that God loves you is not that He doesn't have you go through any pain. The greatest proof that God loves you is that He was willing to experience pain for you. He didn't have to do that. You know how much pain... comprised Jesus' life. Like from beginning to end, it was painful. When Jesus came here at birth, there was no room for him. Then he grew up and he realized the only room for him was on a cross. Like his whole life was painful. It wasn't calm. But it was all right because Jesus knew he was in control. He knew he had the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And what baby Jesus demonstrated to Caesar, Emperor, Augustus, Octavian, that guy, big Jesus straight up told to the Roman authority. It's in John uh, chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. He's about to get crucified, and the Roman authority says, "'Why don't you talk to me?' Pilate demanded. "'Don't you realize that I have the what? Power to release you or crucify you?' Then Jesus looked back at him, and he said, "'You would have no power over me at all "'unless it was given to you from above.'" Jesus has always been in control. Even at his crucifixion, Jesus is in control. He's always been control and he's always been God and very few people have had the right mind to open their eyes and see it. At birth in a public square laying in a manger, people passing by and the son of God's right there but not everybody could see. On a public hill at his death on a cross, the son of God hanging there persecuted and not everybody could see. I'd hate to be the person who denied Jesus' room at the end and I'd hate to be the person who nailed Jesus to the cross because on that cross Jesus experienced the most horrible pain Jesus experienced the wrath of God Jesus went to hell on the cross Jesus was not calm nor was Jesus alright why? so that you and I could be See, I said I'd hate to be the one who denied him room at the end, the one who nailed him to the cross, but my heart was saved and I was changed from the inside out when I realized I was the one who denied him entrance into my heart. And I was the one who sin put him up on the cross. And when you realize that, man, it does something to you. I hope you know how much God loves you. I hope you know that he's in control. I hope you know that He is ready and willing to bring peace to your life and peace to every single circumstance that doesn't even seem like it's calm right now. Jesus on that cross reminds us that no matter what you go through, you know where you're going to be and you know where you're going to end up. So you can confidently say, yeah, when it's not in the plan and when there's a lot of pain, when all is not calm, I know it's all right. I hope you know that in your heart. I hope you know that whatever you're going through this Christmas, Christmas is sadly sometimes a sad time for people. And I understand why. It can be that way. But man, I hope you know that it really will be all right. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Victoria area, stop by one of our services. Church is way better with people. So if you're between the ages of 18 to 29, check out our Instagram at ffc.ya All of our service info is there. And if you're 6th through 12th grade, check out our Instagram at ffc.sm. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And even more, I hope it brought you closer to God. Have a great day.